Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, hey, everyone. Tamara here. Welcome back to another Friday wrap-up, another incredible week gone by. You know, there are some times on Mondays and Tuesdays when I think this week is going so slowly. And then there's Thursdays and Fridays where I think, how did we already get here to another week? I don't even know what happened. Do you feel that way sometimes? We had a great set of everyday innovators this week. And I got a lot of aha moments out of them. And as you probably know, if you've listened, one of them, we even did a two part because it was so good. And there were so, there were just so many great insights flying around. I didn't want to cut it short, but we do try to keep our interviews to 30 ish minutes. So one of them is a two parter. So let me just remind you who we had because they're so good. So first of all, we had Susan and Paul Cadillac, who are in the home renovation, construction, building business. And they are experiential tweakers and experiential inquisitives. They have one overlapping and one different. And I interviewed them both together. And they're just, they're both such unique, interesting people who bounce off each other. So many great lessons out of that one. And then we had Denise Allman, and that was the two-parter. And she is the co-owner with her husband of a strength and conditioning coaching fitness center for kids called Mighty Movement. And we, wow, we dug into sacrifice and and building a business and knowing who you are and what you want in life. And she is an instinctual inquisitive. Then today, the damn recording, we have Mariki Quinn and she is an instinctual collaborative. And Mariki is a program coordinator over at LinkedIn and also a health coach. So she's had her own transformation that I've had the honor of watching her go through on Facebook, which is why I had her on. So very different people this week. So like I said, we had Paul and Susan, that's home renovation. We have Denise, who's in kids conditioning and fitness. And then we have Mariki, who is a program coordinator and also in the health world. Such great insights from all of these. I encourage you to go back and listen to them. As I always say, great innovation happens at the intersection of random. So Go find a random episode. Do you know what I love to do with my podcast? I know it's going to sound a little funny, but I'll just scroll up on the episodes and then just, it's like playing roulette. I'll just click on one and that's the one I listen to. And you know what? Here's what I found. Even if it's one I've listened to before, I get a ton of insights out of it. It's so cool. All right. I, in this wrap up, I'm going to dig into each of them and just kind of the one aha that I got out of it and the action I took and what I learned so that you can do the same thing, so that you can apply these great insights into your life and get those transformations that you're looking for. Before I dig into that, I do want to share one little story with you that I was reminded of in a different conversation I had that I, to me, share showed the importance of simplicity. Now, before I get into the story, you can probably tell my voice is a little off. Of course, I have a raging chest and head cold, so I'm all stuffed up, but I think we can get through this. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about decision-making and how people get decision fatigue. And what that really means is that 
making decisions gets harder and harder. It's like willpower. We have this limited set, this limited well, it's like gas in our tank of energy to make decisions. And over the day and over time, we deplete that tank. And especially when the decisions we need to make and the challenges and the opportunities presented in front of us get more and more complex, it takes more and more of that gas out of the tank. Do you ever feel like that after a day where you've had to make a lot of decisions, where you've had to move a lot of things forward, you get home and someone asks you something simple like, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, I don't know, whatever you decide. Like you can't even be bothered to make a decision because your tank is empty. It's decision fatigue. Well, I had a realization the other day for all of us that I want you to really consider for yourself and for those around you. Sometimes that decision fatigue doesn't just come from how much gas you have in the tank. It also comes from how much choice you have in front of you. So here's the thing. When we have too many choices, when we have a lot of choices, we actually tend to shut down and it becomes harder to make decisions. So a group of researchers did this fascinating study in a grocery store where they set up a table for, to sell jam. And First, they said they tried to sell a whole array of jams, like every flavor you could possibly imagine. I think it was like 20 flavors or something like that. And what they found is that very few people picked up the jam to purchase it. They didn't make a decision. They looked at the table, maybe had some conversation and walked away. The next day, they went back out to the grocery store, but they only put three flavors on the table. Guess what they found? Purchases skyrocketed decision-making skyrocketed. So the difference here isn't necessarily the amount of decisions people are making. It is the choices in front of them. Too many choices equals a decrease in decision-making. How many times in your work and life have you been presented with an array of options and you can't like, you just can't do it, right? It's just too much. I I don't know, whatever, right? Let somebody else pick. We are inputting too much. So if we want to minimize decision fatigue, keep a little bit more gas in the tank, we've got to take out the effort, the energy that we have to put on the front end to make those decisions. In this conversation, I was reminded of a client of mine who um, he runs uh, the department in a healthcare organization. I think it was the orthotics department at the time. So very large department, very important, worth billions of dollars to the hospital. and he was telling me how the team was having a hard time making decisions. And what he realized is, is because the reason for that wasn't because the decisions were too hard for the team. They were very smart people. It's because they were looking at 25 points of data to make those decisions. It was overwhelming. It was too much. Somewhere along the way, the person, the leader before him had made the decision that they needed to look at all the data to make decisions. Well, looking at all the data actually decreased decision-making. So what he did is he boiled it down to the top five, the five that really tell you the story, the five that really matter, the five that actually are really, if you think about it, they'll level up from all the other 20. So they moved to five and guess what happened? Yeah, you guessed it. Decision-making skyrocketed. Good decision-making skyrocketed. Now, if somebody wanted to dig into the data, they certainly could but he found that less is more. So when we think about being exhausted, the world that we're in, all the decisions we're making, and I would say 
those decisions are a little bit harder now because we're also dealing with new challenges, new opportunities, a new world, right? Things have changed. So we've got to re like we're processing new data all the time. But I want you to think about where choice and options come into this. Are you giving yourself and the people around you too many choices? This is why when you go to a movie theater, it's small, medium, large. That's why. Because any more choices than that, and you wouldn't make a choice. Decision fatigue comes from having too many things to choose from. Too much, too much data input. Minimize the choices and you'll maximize your decision making. All right, let's go on to these incredible everyday innovators this week. And I want to share with you, as I said, my one kind of aha moment from each of them so that you can drive innovation, thinking differently, having a strong voice, performing at your peak, and busting through that brick wall so you can do that in your world. So as I mentioned, Paul and Susan, they were on Monday. And Paul is a tweaker experiential, and Susan is an inquisitive experiential. So let me tell you what that means. And you could totally hear it in their interview. So Paul is a tweaker experiential. The tweaker is all about editing, evolving, optimizing. Things are never quite finished. Tweakers understand that there's one little adjustment away to that great innovation. And because of that, they, they tend to keep just like improving and making things better and making that one little shift that the rest of us don't even see. And then the experiential side of him is all about innovation in motion. Things have to get out of their head and into the real world. People who are experiential need to kind of do and experience. And in that, they create incredible 3D innovation. So the magic in that combination of tweaker experiential is optimized, tangible innovation. Now, Susan, on the other hand, she's an inquisitive experiential. So the experiential is similar, right? Innovation in motion. But the inquisitive is all about challenging assumptions, digging deep, asking why. For them, innovations in the questions, not the answers. So that combination for her is deep, tangible innovation. So you can see why they make a, gr- a great team. You've got optimized, tangible, and deep, tangible innovation. Can you see how those come together? So they're in the home renovation construction space and they have their own show, which they have on their app. I highly I recommend it. They're so, they're so knowledgeable, but also so entertaining. Here's the thing that Susan said that really stuck with me and made me think about how I approach the world, but also how I lead the people around me. She said, in a world of problem-minded people, be the one that brings the solutions. She said, you know, when she goes to a client because they can't get the tile in on time, uh, they busted through a wall and they found something they didn't expect to find, right? In their world in home renovation, problems come up all the time, all the time, right? It's just kind of part of the job. And especially now with all these supply chain issues and labor issues, she said, we're constantly having bigger problems. But she said, I never go to a client and say, here's the problem. I say, here's the problem. And here's three possible solutions that I've come up with. Let's walk through these. She said, she always wants to be the person that brings the solution. And here's what it got me thinking about. I think I'm pretty good at driving to solution. Um, I'm, I'm an opportunist, I guess, in a, and I mean that in a positive way. Like I'm always looking for the opportunity to improve, to innovate, for it to be a positive outcome, to turn that challenge into something better. But I was thinking, do I go through the exercise when I face a challenge of just running through three solutions every time just to get the wheels going, to get the creative thinking flowing? 
So I started this exercise after I had that interview where every time I, I run into a problem and whether it's something simple like, oh, my website was down for five minutes the other day, all the way from that to like, okay, how do we get some more everyday innovators on the podcast? Well, like I want to get some more people. So I started instead of just kind of jumping down a path, I said, okay, I'm going to always come up with three solutions. So I put this little bubble on my piece of paper with my problem. And then I mapped out three solutions each time. It was so interesting. Here's what I found. Those solutions that I mapped out weren't necessarily the ones I ended up going with, but it got me thinking about how to go around and under and through and across that brick wall in a way that I hadn't thought about before. And in fact, the solutions I ultimately went with were actually, I think, stronger than the ones had I just tried to leap there right away. So I encourage you to to put that into practice to be a solution-minded person. I think we talk a lot about it in this world that we want solutions. We want our team to be solution-minded. None of us want to be the person that kind of pushes problems up the ladder, of course, right? We don't want to be the leader that accepts that, even though a lot of us accidentally do. I would encourage you to just every time you have a problem, just get into the practice of mapping out three solutions, even if one of those isn't the ones you're going to go with. Even if you're not even trying to fully solve it in that moment, just to like get the wheels going, try it. I think you'll be fascinated what happens. I just, it actually got really exciting for me. I'd run into a problem and I'd go, Ooh, I wonder what three solutions I can come up with for this. I started doing it across everything. I went to the gas station. I was having a problem inputting stuff at the pump. It wasn't working. And I was like, huh, I wonder what are three solutions to make this more user-friendly. And it just, man, the wheels just started going and going and going. So then when I needed those innovative ideas, by the way, they were there because I've been practicing this solution-minded all day. So for your team, if you're leading a team of people or you are that person that tends to get stuck in problem a little too long, who can't quite get the solution, I encourage you to just say, hey, here's the practice we're going to do. Three solutions every time. And again, take the pressure off. Make it just to brainstorm. That's okay. So I used to run this consulting firm. And when I got there, the culture of the firm was to push problems up the ladder. So my consultants who were heading up projects with companies ranging from Johnson & Johnson to General Mills to Procter & Gamble, like big companies, really important work. But they'd come into my office and they go, well, we can't figure out X, Y, Z. And then the conversation would stop. And I used to tell people, hey, don't come into my office unless you've thought of at least three or four solutions to this. And if they still don't work, then come back to me. I wish I had done this exercise with them so I could show them how to do it and just say, hey, just map it out right here on the piece of paper. But nonetheless, I didn't want their problems being pushed up the ladder. So I wouldn't accept it. Now, sometimes that delayed the solution. Sometimes that caused other problems in the front end. But I'll tell you what, on the back end, it made us such a stronger team and a better value add for our our clients. Because here's what happens. After a while, people knew you do not go into tomorrow's office unless you've actually thought through the solutions. So two amazing things happened that I want to share. First off, people stopped coming into my office as much. Why? Not because they were sharing with me, but because in in getting into that practice of, I got to come up with solutions before I talk to Tamara, they actually came up with solutions that worked and didn't need my help. And then second, when they came in, we had a springboard for conversation. They'd come in and say, all right, Tamara, I've run into this challenge. I'm not sure what to do. I've thought of these three solutions. Here's why maybe some of them are on track, but why some of them won't work. And I need some help moving it forward then we could have a real conversation of what solution was actually going to move the needle. I would encourage you to do that. Don't let people come to you with problems without solutions. And if they do ask them back, Hey, what, 
Give me three solutions. Give me three possible solutions for this. And then let's have the conversation. Wow, I feel like I got two major insights out of this. That second one, I kind of wasn't expecting to share. But the first one is just get into the habit of grooving those wheels or getting those wheels turning and and practice being a solution-minded person yourself. And second, don't ever start or accept a conversation where that problem is being pushed to you without solutions having been thought of. Thank you, Paul and Susan, for that. Such a great interview. All right, let's keep going, shall we? You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. All right, next up is Denise Ullman, who is at COA president, co-creator of Mighty Movement. That's the strength and conditioning, fitness and health and mindset for kids. The work that they do, her and her husband is so great. So Denise is an instinctual inquisitive. So that means that she innovates. First of all, the instinctual side is all about a more circuitous path. So instinctuals tend to think A to X to B over to Y back to A. So can you, you can imagine in a little bit of that randomness, they're actually able to find the insights and the patterns. They connect dots in new and meaningful ways. They see the connections and create the connections between things a lot of us miss. They drive innovation in those connections. And then the inquisitive is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions. You know, inquisitives are those people that constantly ask questions of themselves, of each other. You know them in a crowd because they're like, well, what if we did try Italian tonight? Like the way they think is in questions. It's so interesting to see. But as you can imagine, it's like if a question is a shovel, they just keep digging and digging and digging. 
instinctual inquisitive brings connective, deep innovation to the table. So this is a two-parter interview, as I mentioned. And in the first part, we talked about something that I thought was really powerful. And Denise really digs into this. So I encourage you to go back to her interview and listen to this one. This is the one on the third. She talks about how, how, how to succeed is already inside of you. And what this conversation really reminded me of is that we all have the tools inside of us to reach our full potential, to elevate our game, to think differently, to get the things in life that we want, but we just have to remember them. And what she goes on to say is we sometimes forget when we hit that struggle, that challenge, or we're trying to break through to that next level. It's like we forget all the things that we've done to be successful in other areas of our lives. Like we've already done it and we've just got to pull from what we've already done. Now, obviously that really speaks to me because on the innovation side, right, which I think is our greatest competitive advantage, our innovative minds, on that side, we all have that inside of us. Many of us have forgotten or been trained out of using it. So to me, this really aligns, right? Because I'm saying, hey, you have the ability to innovate inside of you. And she's saying, hey, you have the ability to be successful already inside of you. And I love that. It just got me thinking about the places in my life, maybe where I struggle a little bit, or even in my work where I struggle a little bit, and how I, I get into this trap of instead of just pulling from my well but of things I've already done and using that as my springboard, it's like I have to come up with that new hack, that new one-off, that new way, when I just need to go back and tap into what I already know and what I've already done, and then use that as my springboard. Yeah, maybe I evolve it, maybe I innovate and do it a little bit differently, but the basis is already inside of me. This is a really powerful conversation. And I would urge you to go back and listen to that and get yourself that reminder of how powerful you already are. Denise did a great job of that. And that was just in the first interview. Now, in the second interview, we talked about how when you shift in one area of life, it shifts everything else too. And that again, oftentimes we compartmentalize our lives and our work and we think, well, I'm trying to, you know, get in, get super fit over here. And then over here at work, it's something completely different. Here's what I've discovered. And I just want to share a little bit of story with you. It's a little bit of a personal one. And I've learned this lesson twice now. So I got into CrossFit when I was 41. I was out of shape. I was a weekend warrior who then, you know, had to recover for the full week. Um, I definitely lied to myself about my fitness level. Um, I did not get up in the mornings. I took long naps. I, it's not that I wasn't motivated or driven and it wasn't, I worked my way up the corporate ladder. It's just that I didn't have that belief in myself. I, I think I, I think I capped myself at that time in my life. And let me go back to the fitness part of this because you know, here I am, I've got my own business, I'm doing well, but I need to take it to the next level, but I just keep hitting a cap. Then I start CrossFit. And believe me, I won't make you drink the CrossFit Kool-Aid, I get it. But here's what I want to share with you. Suddenly, I was doing things I never thought I could even, I were even ever going to be possible for me, like a pull-up. Now, I know that sounds like a small deal, but ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Pull-ups for women are hard. Suddenly, I'm doing not just one, that was the first, then I'm doing 10, then I'm doing 20. Like, amazing, right? So here I am, and I'm realizing how incredibly strong and capable I am in my fitness. But the cool part about that is not just that I lost all this weight and got strong and fit and realized, actually, I love to compete. Like all that stuff came together. But because I was amazing myself in that area of life, 
I realized I could amaze myself in the other area and my business took off as well. It's amazing how that happens, right? All that confidence, all that belief, all that proof of my ability in that one area at 5.30 in the morning then translated to everything else. And then it happened again, you know, most recently, well, now in the beginning of 2020, I had a surgery that actually had to take me out of CrossFit for a long time. And I was so frustrated and I needed to find something else to do. But I found myself again, right? When that one area wasn't shifting, my other areas weren't shifting as well as well. And so I had to find something else to do. And it was very frustrating. And 2020 was very frustrating for all of us. And I got (laughs) suckered into training for an Ironman. Now that Ironman then got postponed. So now I'm training for it again as we speak. But here's what I'm finding. Same type of thing, right? Training for that for two, three hours a day is actually making everything else in my life better. Because again, here I am like making these big shifts in what I'm able to achieve. I learned how to ride a bike, yo. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not a bike rider. Also, I've never had a swim lesson in my life. My mom and I were laughing about this the other day. And here I am like swimming, swimming, like just swimming. Now, am I the best? No, but that's not the point. The point is I taught myself to swim and to bike. Like what? Can you hear it in my voice? Well, that confidence, again, that capability, all that's translating into everything else. And once again, right, like I went up to a level and then I got a little bit capped out and now I'm going up to the second level. And I contend it's because I'm shifting over here. Now, it's not all about fitness, by the way. It can be about a lot of different things. My point here is Denise's comment about we need to start seeing ourselves as a whole system and realize that a shift in one area leads to another area, I think is really important for all of us to remember that, hey, you know what? Whatever it is that you're working on in your life, that one little shift isn't just that little shift. It's actually so much bigger. So put the energy in, put the time in, let that ripple out into all the other areas of your life. I think, I think you'll find how impactful all of it is. So pick the thing that you want to work on, whatever it is, and make that shift in that area. I don't care if it's health, fitness, food, relationships, work, sales, whatever. Find that thing, make the shift, and then allow it to ripple out. I said allow, by the way, very intentionally, because I think that it's not that it doesn't, it's that we don't allow it. We often compartmentalize it and then we block that energy that could be positively impacting every other area of our lives. Can you tell how excited I'm getting talking about shifting? It's the best feeling ever. And for me, a great reminder to keep getting on that bike. Okay, so now let's go over to Mariki Quinn. Now, Mariki is, as I said, a program manager at LinkedIn and also went through her whole health transformation herself, which I had the honor of kind of seeing over time on Facebook. And she's an instinctual collaborative. So that means the instinctual is all about those connecting those dots, finding those insights in the patterns. But the collaborative is about pulling disparate people and ideas and experiences together to create whole innovation. So you know collaboratives because they tend to be a little bit chatty, right? They want to like get your perspective and that perspective and that experience and that experience, which you totally hear in Mariki's interview. She talks about teaching herself how to run and teaching herself new skills and how excited she gets about that because that's the collaborative side. So the power in that combination, instinctual collaborative, is she brings connective whole innovation to the table. So here's the thing that um, Mariki said that really spoke to me. In the very beginning, we were talking about her transformation. I asked her to share it. It's a little personal, but I, I think it's really powerful. And she said, you know, when things feel right, they feel easy. And then she went on to say how 
you know, when things don't feel right, it's like you have to keep picking away at them and picking away at them and nudging at them. And like, you keep trying to evolve it, and edit it. Like you just can't quite get your hands around it is what she was talking about. And I think that's so right. And that got me thinking about the things I'm trying to do in work. And there are a few things that I think I kept picking at and picking at and picking at that I couldn't get them right, but I wanted to believe they were right versus the things that when I've kind of figured it out and I go, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. That's totally it. Not to say that there isn't innovation and ideas that need to come in and it needs to change and evolve, but the path is right. And so I want you to think about the paths that you're on. That's what I did this last week. After this interview, I started to think about, well, what paths am I on? And do they feel easy? And my, by the way, definition of easy isn't that there aren't struggles and that you don't drift and have to pull yourself back. It isn't that, um, you know, there aren't challenges, obstacles along the way, but it's that it feels right. It feels good. So I just want to leave you with this and this one. Think about the paths that you're on. Do they feel right? Do they feel easy? Do they feel good? Or do you feel like you have to pick away at them because they're not right? Now, here's the thing about the picking. I just want to say the picking isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, if you're a tweaker out there, especially you're like, but tomorrow I want to edit and adjust and, you know, and that's fantastic. Right. And then you find it. But just think about how it feels and the mindset going into it. Denise also said something in her, one of her interviews about how, um, you know, when you, when you know what you're after, the struggle seems easy. And she was kind of saying the same thing. Like, it's not that you don't have struggles, but you have the motivation to push through them. So think about the paths you're on. Do they feel, do they feel easy or do you have to pick at them? All right, everybody. Wow. So many great interviews, so many great everyday innovators who've just thought a little bit differently to achieve what they want in life. Mariki is the instinctual collaborative. You've got Denise is the inquisitive, instinctual. And then our partners in crime over here, Paul and Susan Cadillac, who are experiential tweaker and experiential inquisitive. So many great interviews. I'll put links to them. We have another great lineup next week. And hey, if you're out there and you're like, Tara, I want to be interviewed. I think a little bit differently in my world, whether that's because you're a leader, an aspiring leader, you've solved a problem, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, reach out. We'd love to have you on. And with that, Tamara out. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time